Welcome to Wider View, the program that provides perspectives on the news outside the narrow confines of the mainstream media. I'm your host, Charles Dunaway. Today, I'm welcoming back Dr. Rick Stagenborg. Rick is a retired Veterans Administration psychiatrist and a post-Vietnam Army veteran who is specialized in post-traumatic stress disorder in his practice. He's a trained psychotherapist with a particular interest in how perception is modified to manufacture consent for war. Rick is also chapter president of the Linus Pauling chapter of Veterans for Peace in Corvallis, Oregon, and is currently active in the campaign for public banking. Just to kick it off, I mean, one of the things that's really uh, been a problem with this COVID uh, pandemic and the resulting lockdown has been that businesses are not making the money, they're not paying the taxes, and so state and local governments are running out of funds. And the government at least hasn't been, up to this point, willing to help them out. Is there another way this can be, you know, that states uh, can get revenue without uh, taxing people? Absolutely. <laughs> um <laughs> It's uh, the ideal way to do it would be, well, there's a couple of things. I mean, you could have a national bank that's owned by the federal government and has the power to create its own money Mm -hmm. instead of delegating that to the Federal Reserve, which is uh, owned by the 11 major um, branch banks, which are private. Uh, And of course, they're looking out for their interests, not just Mm -hmm. ours, if they're looking out for ours at all. Yeah. Um, but uh, so that would be the ideal thing. And the next uh, best thing would have a national infrastructure bank that's actually being worked on mm-hmm. uh, so that we could use the, the the credit of the federal government to just create money out of nowhere instead of leaving that to private interest that can be paid yeah. back with interest. Yeah. What's the difference now between uh, what you're talking about, a national bank or a national infrastructure bank, and the Federal Reserve. I mean, other than, you know, who manages it, but I mean, how would they operate differently? Well, the Federal Reserve can't actually um, distribute money directly. Uh, it's not a, It's not really a bank. The uh, uh, Treasury has that authority, mm-hmm. um, but they don't generally do that unless they're ordered. Well, they don't do it at all unless they're ordered to by Congress. No. What we've seen is Congress uh, does not want to uh, cough up the money to bail out the states uh, during this crisis, which is uh, one of the, well, probably the only thing I can think of that would justify deficit spending. Um, mm-hmm. We do it all the time anyway, but we do it to support the military. Yeah. We should be doing it now to support the people. And they're doing this in other countries. Um, whether they have public banks or not, the government is ponying up money, mm-hmm. uh, make sure people have enough to live on, stay in their homes, uh, have access. They already have access to health care, have other basic necessities. In the United yeah. States, we don't do that. Think about it. You mentioned that tax revenues are down as jobs are being lost. But this is at the same time that demand is going up for uh, mm-hmm. state funds for Medicaid. Mm-hmm for uh, rolling out COVID. That's not all paid for by the federal government. Um, There's just a lot of extra expenses, you know, uh, housing assistance, food assistance, whatever uh, a state chooses to do. Meanwhile, they've got to pay all their regular obligations. So um, they really need that money. 
mean, yeah. And if they're yeah. not going to get it from the federal government, the best way to do it would be a state public bank. Let me back up a couple of things. Back to the federal for a second. Fed actually, over since the 2008 crisis, has been engaged in what they call quantitative easing. So, in other words, they're they're basically printing money and more or less handing it to the big banks. Big banks are buying their stock back, <laughs> otherwise not investing that money. And now they've even started, you know, taking uh, bad corporate debt uh, on and uh, you know getting getting reimbursing corporations for that. So they are sort of, as you suggested earlier, they're printing money and giving it away, but they're giving it away to people that don't need it instead of giving it away to people that do need it. That's right. Right. And then before we talk about state banks, I mean, I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding about how banks operate in the first place. I mean, <clears throat> I think most people, you know, we learned in school, you know, the bank takes in your deposits for your savings accounts and they sit there in the vault and then they loan that money out to uh, people that need loans and mortgages and, you know, small business loans or whatever. That leaves a lot out. The actual system is called fractional reserve lending. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that uh, banks keep a certain amount of uh, reserves on hand, and then they uh, uh, they can lend based on that. They can lend a multiple of what they actually have, mm -hmm. and um, banks have leveraged that to the hilt uh, and uh, used it to buy um, derivatives. They did mm -hmm. that in the past. They're actually still doing it. Mm -hmm. um, that money's going somewhere. And it isn't going into um, building up businesses or creating jobs. It's going uh, largely into derivatives, according to Ellen Brown. So where does the state bank get its money? It depends on the state. Mm -hmm. In Oregon, where we live, uh, it's actually unconstitutional to have a state bank. So it would take a constitutional amendment to be able to create a state bank in Oregon. But I was told that there was a, uh, a bill introduced into this uh, legislative session that would uh, change the constitution to uh, to allow for the creation of, of a state public bank. Yeah. Right now, only one state has a public bank, right? Uh-huh. That's right. North Dakota. Okay. And, and so... Fabulously successful. So where does that North Dakota bank get its money? There are different ways you could do it. They could use reserve funds mm -hmm. um, that, that, that are just sitting in accounts. Um, that's one way to do it. Uh, that you could use private investors actually to uh, to uh, in, um, sure. create the, uh, the reserves necessary, or theoretically they could use their own credit, just the credit of the state mm -hmm. of North Dakota, and, and they they have used that. I I know, um, but w what combination they used to start it, I really can't say. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, is the idea that states are all already using banks. When the tax revenue comes in, as it does every week or month or whatever, whenever it comes in, you know, the state deposits that money in some bank somewhere, and that money stay, stays there until it's spent in the form of payroll to, or um, projects the state wants to undertake. So if the state and 
presumably municipalities within the state, deposited their money in a state bank. Over the over the course of the year, that money's going to come back out, but this, then the bank would be able to loan out far more than the money it had using the fractional reserve system. And they could invest in things that would help people and help the state grow, right? That's right. One of the advantages of a public bank is that uh, whatever um, level of government is doing, it gets to set the priorities for how the money's mm-hmm. loaned out. So yeah. if you want to help uh, minority businesses, you can target them mm-hmm. for loans. If you want to help uh, certain types of business, if you have a national bank, say, and you want to uh, help certain industries, um, you could do that. Japan does that with their national mm-hmm. bank. Yeah. Uh, China does that with their development bank. We did that with uh, with an infrastructure bank that we had during the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they funded all kinds of great projects. And like you said, the money comes back. I mean, they may uh, dr- create the money out of thin air, but it comes back. And it comes back with interest, just like a private bank. But it isn't the kind of onerous interest rates that make right. it impossible mm-hmm. for a lot of uh, businesses to benefit from them. Yeah. And there's um, there are all sorts of things that need to be done in this country that aren't really getting funded by um, by private uh, individuals and private companies I and mean, things like uh, green energy, for example. You know, conversion over to electric cars or uh, mass transit or housing for the poor. I mean, there are any number of things that you could talk about that that just don't get done because there is no money to be made doing them. Well, and yeah. because of this notion that's uh, that has been promoted in Washington, that you have to have a balanced budget. I mean, they even tried to pass a constitutional amendment. That's a crazy idea. Yeah. And the whole, one of the main reasons to have a public bank is so that you can put money in the economy when it's not doing so well. And that's not when private banks invest. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's called counter-cyclical lending. And sure. um, you aren't going to find any private bank doing that, but that's how you get yourself out of a depression. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're pretty close to, to that now. COVID has really got us on the edge. Um, and things aren't going to bounce right back. There are, I don't know, probably millions, I would say, but the, but let's just say th- tens of thousands, mm-hmm. more likely hundreds of thousands at minimum of businesses, small businesses, are shutting down forever. I mean, the mm-hmm. restaurant industry, uh, traditionally, you know, a lot of businesses fail in the restaurant industry. Well, this is something that very few restaurants uh, mm-hmm. can make it through if they're following the lockdown rules. And it's far from over. I mean, I don't know when things are going to open up to the point where people can just walk into a restaurant and feel safe. We're not going to have herd immunity before next fall at the very earliest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even if uh, <clears throat> even if Biden is able to get his 100 million vaccine vaccinations done in the next 100 days, so uh, that still leaves a lot of people that don't have them. Yeah, I think you need 70% or 80% or mm-hmm. something like that. Well, people want to find out more about public banking. Um, there are websites or groups that they can, um, you know, go to. Sure. I recommend the Public Banking Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are particularly working on the uh, National Infrastructure Bank project right now. Uh, but they also have plenty of information about state banks 
and municipal banks, which we didn't really get into. Um, in Oregon, there's the Oregon Public Bank um, Alliance, and we are I'm with that alliance, and we are working for municipal banks at the city level, where groups of cities can get together and use their reserves, probably. Uh, in that case, that's how it would work. Uh, use their reserves to uh, fund a bank so that they can make infrastructure loans to participating communities. Right, and that would uh, that would be legal under the Oregon Constitution, I take it. Yes, there's been a determination uh, by the Attorney General, I believe the Attorney General. At any rate, there's been an official determination <laughs> that uh, that would be legal. You're listening to Wider View, a weekly conversation with analysts and activists rarely found in the mainstream media. Wider View is made available free of charge to radio stations nationwide, and a podcast of this show is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play Music as Wider View Radio, and at WiderViewRadio.Podbean.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Wider View Radio. So I want to sort of uh, change the topic here a little bit, because, I mean, one of the reasons that we need to invest in the country, it seems to me, is that when, when people have no hope and feel that they've been abandoned by their government, aren't able to, to give their children the kind of financial well-being that they once had, they tend to uh, look for some kind of a, a solution. And we saw several uh, thousand of them um, stormed the U.S. Capitol on the January the 6th. What's your reaction right now to what, what transpired on the 6th? I guess I'd have to say I'm not terribly surprised. I mean, mm-hmm. people were predicting violence for a long time. Before that, it was obvious that Trump was getting um, people on the fringes of uh, reality, you could say, to uh, get all worked up about things that were mostly imaginary. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, there were some real reasons for them to be riled up too. It's it's pretty clear that uh, certain individuals and institutions had an interest in trying to undermine the Trump administration right from the beginning. And uh, in particular, because he wanted to uh, reset relations with Russia and the neoconservative project right now is to demonize Russia, uh, surround it with uh, missiles, and um, undercut it every way it can, economically, mm-hmm. politically, and if necessary, militarily. Uh, Trump was a target, and the fact that uh, progressives never acknowledged that or even realized it, I, I don't think they're pretending uh, that he didn't. I think they really don't know because the corporate media uh, has carried this ridiculous uh, Russiagate story. It still is carrying it, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, most things disappear after 24 hours, but when they want to get a message across, they'll hit it every damn day for months, if if that's what it takes. Yeah, and I I, frankly was reading the uh, New York Times this morning. Here was a long article about the transition between Obama and Trump and what, what took place around that transition four years ago. And, of course, every few paragraphs, we mentioned the Russian interference and, you know, they, uh, they even talked about the P-tapes and all that. They just will not let that go. Yeah, there was a definite attempt, I think, by liberals to 
keep Trump from doing anything, or at least certain things that they didn't want him to do, undermine him in any way they could. As a problem here, I mean, here that we have to differentiate between what I will call, uh, for lack of a better term, liberals, people who are, you know, Democratic Party stalwarts who listen to MSNBC and CNN and and um, who believe what their government tells them and, you know, what they hear on the media and, um, and follow along with uh, whether it's Russiagate or Ukraine gate, or now they have to be angry at China. Maduro, Venezuela is a dictator, and Juan Guaido is a uh, uh, fighter for democracy. I mean, any kind of ludicrous nonsense they can come up with. But, you know, they're the people that believe all that stuff. But I don't think those, I don't see those people as being part of the left. Uh, what I would call the left is people who are much more aware of what's going on and uh, understand that. All this is being done for a, a tiny oligarchy of very wealthy people at the top. This is all not what it seems to be. Uh, that's as much a conspiracy theory as uh, QAnon, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> well, it may sound like it, but in the, the difference is that this is pretty well documented. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can go all the way back to Professor Harold Quigley. And uh, his book back, I think it came out in 68, Tragedy and Hope. He was part of that uh, small group of people. He was uh, intimate with them and close to them and studied them. And in fact, um, I'm just reading right now a little uh, synopsis of, of Tragedy and Hope. It's called Tragedy and Hope 101. <laughs> and uh, it, it just summarizes the, the key things that are interspersed in that 1,300-page tome. Um, mm. And so anyway, he claims that that the, the elite actually wanted him to document the story. They just didn't want him to publish it. <laughs> uh, right. And then they were OK with him being part of this because they thought he was like he was very supportive of their ultimate aims. <laughs> uh, apparently, he didn't have a problem with that, but he did have some problems with some of the things they did. But this basic system. Apparently not. Um, so it's pretty shocking that, uh, that uh, a person would lay this out thinking that, you know, it's just going to be an interesting discussion mm -hmm. or something. Uh, yeah. People knew the details of how the power uh, really works in this world. They would be uh, uh, probably most of them would be pretty freaked out. As I say, there's a close relationship between the left and um, what generally is referred to as the far right, which is that that idea that the government is not really um, working for us. They're working, you know, for uh, the um, the parties in the back. So this is why, for example, we always have to increase military spending. We can never decrease military spending. We can never uh, withdraw from a country uh, that we've invaded, you know, even when we lose the war. And also, we never really get to a point of really helping ordinary people unless we have a crash like happened in, in 29. And we got a person like Roosevelt who came in and saved capitalism. He saved capitalism by providing things like social security and so forth. So he gave the people enough that they didn't revolt. 
But what I'm sensing now in the country is that neither party is willing to give people what they want. They're ruled by these neoliberal ideology and these, you know, America has to be running the world. And, you know, they're not going, they're not going to deal with those things. Well, that's right. And the, the basis of it is really pretty simple. If you think about it for a second, we have a uh, privately funded system of federal federal elections mm-hmm. and uh, also state elections too. So uh, all the way down to local elections for that matter. Anyway, what do you expect to get when you have privately funded uh, system of elections? The people that pay for the elections are the ones that are going to be listened to first. So the Princeton uh, study that came out a few years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, demonstrating that there's zero correlation between what the people want, the people who actually have the vast majority of the votes, no correlation between what they want and what the Congress comes up with. There is, on the other hand, a very strong correlation between what the uh, wealthiest uh, 1% want, uh, or 5%, I don't remember what benchmark they used, but what mm-hmm. the wealthiest uh, people in the country want and what Congress does. Yeah. So there's really no gridlock uh, in Congress when it comes to the corporate interest. If something serves the corporate interest, it gets passed. If it challenges the corporate interest, it does not. That's the only reason that we don't have universal health care, because mm-hmm. it would actually save money. So all this blathering about balancing the budget and having to be fiscally responsible it's about making profits for uh, mm-hmm. the uh, health insurance industry. Uh, I should say the medical insurance industry, corporate providers, and, and pharmacy companies. Mm-hmm. That's all it's about. It's right. the only reason that they haven't done it already. Oh yeah, no, no, no. It's, and the uh, fact that the media goes along with the corporate bottom line too. Well, of course, the media is owned by big corporations now. Exactly. Um, yeah, and all uh, all, fi- all five of those mega corporations. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's there's not many, and then now even the uh, even local newspapers are being bought up by by huge conglomerates. Yeah, we're we're uh, we we've come to a situation though where it looks like people are beginning to revolt. Now, you know, in my opinion, they're revolting for all the wrong reasons, and they're attacking. Um, at least some of the wrong people. Uh, But I I understand the frustration. I understand the frustration that they have. Um, And I think it's shared by a number of people on the left as well. Um, But maybe we're not as, uh, we're not as likely to put on horns and go, uh, you know, go into Capitol and screaming and yelling. Well, part of the reason is that the American public's been trained to um, to uh, be frightened of communism and socialism, and a lot of the uh, solutions to our problems uh, are, frankly, socialistic, if not uh, socialist, and mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> so they automatically reject those. So the idea that we can work with them is kind of uh, fantastical, although it's not uh, really impossible. There was a time when uh, Americans, uh, American workers, farmers did get together, educated each other through alternative means, not through the mainstream newspapers, and uh, educated each other about what the real problems were. And they called for nationalization 
of essential industries like the railroads. Mm -hmm. They called for public banks. They called for uh, a, a system where the government actually created the money, which is inherent in the national public bank. <clears throat> and then, uh, uh, and that they use it for uh, for uh, purposes of helping average people. They were the populace. Mm -hmm. They actually uh, they elected a senator, uh, Bob uh, Follett, from Wisconsin. Uh, that's about as far as they got. Uh, they ended up um, losing their power after um, backing Williams, Jennings, Bryant uh, twice. He uh, he got them to compromise instead of calling for a greenback dollar that would be backed uh, only by the full faith of the United States. Uh, he he wanted to expand the money supply by uh, allowing silver to be used as a currency to the bimetal mm -hmm. uh, uh, system. So they, they figured that's better than nothing because the most important thing was to expand the money supply so average people could get some of it. And uh, But he lost. So they made a compromise. They lost anyway. And uh, the thing lost steam after going through a couple of election cycles. You know, that was in response to the uh, abuses that they suffered uh, after um, after the corporations basically took power of the yeah. Congress after the Reconstruction. Um, it was a reaction to that. But people, they educated themselves so they knew who the enemy was. They weren't fighting each other. Mm -hmm. The uh, farmers and the uh, workers in the cities were working together. That, you can't do that now. They very systematically divided us up. Rural areas are predominantly red. And cities are, uh, well, a lot of cities are uh, predominantly mm -hmm. blue. Um, there's an urban-rural divide all over the country. Sure. And uh, <clears throat> that's one of the ways they divide us. They divide us in lots of ways. The most important thing uh, beyond that is that they control the media. As you said, they control the message. So people yeah. tend not to have enough basic knowledge of these things to figure it out for themselves. So they depend on the media. They don't know where to get the real information. You and I are called conspiracy theorists because of the things mm -hmm. we talk about. <clears throat> but all we're really doing is talking about things that people used to know. Yeah, you know, sure. Mm -hmm. People understood this stuff better than now. Um, we've forgotten it. We've been systematically brainwashed, uh, literally washed. They've washed away our memory of these things, collective memory. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's why people like you and I are out trying to educate people about this stuff. <laughs> right. If Which understood this, they would be with us on a lot of these issues. Yeah, I and think so. I think I think there's a and there's beginning to be a populist uh, movement. I mean, Trump was un unfortunately for them uh, the person they rallied behind. But what I'm concerned about too at this point is how do we bring the country together or can we bring the country together? Um, after we have spent, you know, what, 40 years polarizing the nation, you know, so that now we have completely different media that people listen to and watch, uh, completely different sets of facts. The right, the right doesn't have the same facts that we have. You know, they have different facts. You know, I don't see how you come to a point where we can have a successful democratic government in the country. Well, it's going to take a change in political consciousness and personal consciousness. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to realize that people who think differently 
differently than we do our humans too. They've just been programmed differently. Well, we've run out of time, and I want to thank Rick Stagenborg for coming on the program again to share his insights. I'd love to hear yours as well. Send me an email at wideviewradio at gmail.com or post on our Facebook page, Wider View Radio. As always, the views expressed on Wider View are those of myself and my guests and may not reflect the views of the management of this radio station. We aim to provoke you to think outside the box and question the narratives you hear from the mainstream media and our national leaders. I hope we have succeeded. I'm your host, Charles Dunaway. Thanks for listening to Wider View.